Welcome to the Faith, Health, and Home Digital Podcast. I am your host, Makeba Giles. Here we share information and resources for physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being to help families live an inspired lifestyle and encourage healthy living. Thank you for joining us. The Ed Foster Simeon, President and CEO of the U.S. Soccer Foundation, is committed to leveling the playing field for people of color and those living in underserved communities. He is joining me now to share more information on the foundation, as well as some tips and advice for parents and students facing this upcoming school year to stay physically active and healthy. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Now, first, Ed, you have a very extensive background. You served in the U.S. Navy as well as some um, other operations and organizations, and you saw firsthand how systematic inequalities affected individuals in communities of color. Um, Tell us a little more about that and your experience and how your experiences helped inspire your journey um, that led you to the U.S. Soccer Foundation to use youth sports as a catalyst for long-term systematic change. Oh, thank you. So I will start just with my own personal background. I, I come from a low-income working-class family uh, in, in New York, and um, so I understand many of the issues that are at play. But throughout my career in the Navy and as a journalist, Um, I've gotten to travel and to meet a wide range of people and to really get to to talk to and understand, um, you know, how systemic inequity um, leads to health disparities, uh, leads to educational disparities, leads to a wide range of disparities. And so um, I came to the game of soccer through my children um, while working as a journalist um, and volunteering and I saw the power of what a coach, a, a, a well-trained, um, committed coach uh, can mean in a child's life. And when I say that, what I'm talking about is a coach who cares more about um, the child overall as opposed to what's on the scoreboard and the one loss record. Um, for example, my own uh, children learn as much about nutrition and eating healthily because they had a good coach who um, encouraged them and taught them um, in in their uh, engagement through play um, how to eat healthily to perform at a higher level. Now, that may sound a little bit of a stretch, but anyone with children knows that youth coaches are among the most influential people in a child's life. Um, They come running and laughing to their coaches because they want to learn from them and they have fun doing it. And so our approach at the foundation has been to leverage that position of influence to not only teach children uh, the game of soccer, but to leverage it as an opportunity to uh, address the whole child, social emotional learning, nutrition education, mentorship, uh, just another caring adult in a child's life. And and that makes a big difference. 
Indeed it does, and I can tell you firsthand, I know exactly what you mean. I have four children of my own, I'm ranging from adult to teen, and so I know the importance of having that coach um, in sports programs in the lives of a child. Now, um, tell us a little bit more about the U.S. Soccer Foundation and the work that it does. Yeah, so we are a national charitable organization. Um, we About 11 years ago, we made a strategic decision uh, to focus our mission and our resources on creating access and opportunities for children in underserved communities. Uh, and the reason was that uh, we were founded after the 94 World Cup was hosted in the United States, and we invested heavily in growing the game. But most of uh, our investments went to uh, traditional soccer programs in middle-class, suburban, mostly white um, neighborhoods, uh, communities. And when we, when we surveyed the landscape in 2008, we realized that uh, children of color and children in underserved communities in particular, uh, where the pay-to-play model just doesn't work because families don't have the resources to participate, that those families and those children have been pretty much left, um, left behind. So our organization, thanks to um, the commitment of our board of directors and the belief of our board of directors, uh, focused our mission and our energy on um, reaching children in underserved communities, creating access and opportunity for them to play the game. Where I give my board credit is when I talk to them about this work and strategic direction, and I said, look, we have to do more than just roll a ball out and let kids kick a ball. Um, the children that we're trying to reach have faced many challenges because we're 90% of the kids that we are reaching are on free and reduced school lunch, which is an indicator of poverty. And a lot of, many of the children come from families that don't have the resources uh, that I and many of my friends and neighbors take for granted. And so we committed to not only we want kids playing soccer, but we wanted to use the game to help kids grow, to become healthy, productive citizens. Uh, and so we are. We started out small. We started out with a small pilot of about, about 1,000 kids. Uh, this Not this school year because of COVID, but the previous school year, we served over 100,000 kids nationally. Um, and we are just uh, excited because we've taken an evidence-based approach to the work uh, so that we're not just saying that the program Soccer for Success is good for kids. We have evidence supported by um, work that we've done with the federal government that shows that 88% uh, of uh, children uh, participate better on a team. 86% uh, avoid uh, antisocial behavior. And most importantly to me, 83% have improved health outcomes as measured by cardiovascular fitness and, and maintaining a healthy weight. Um, so we are, we are thrilled um, to be able to provide free access to programming uh, for children of color uh, and children in underserved communities nationwide um, so that they can get the same benefits that my kids got from participating uh, in organized sports. Phenomenal, phenomenal, and I love your mission and your commitment to uh, making that happen. Now, you've been the president and CEO of the foundation for 12 years, and you mentioned briefly how you started 
um, doing this 11 years ago. Tell us from your eyes, what shifts have you personally seen in the accessibility of sport programs and other opportunities for physical activity for kids who live in those underserved communities over the last decade? Yeah, um, I, there's a gro- my perspective is that what I've seen the biggest change is a growing realization that sport is about much more than just fun and games. Um, it can be easily dismissed as just um, an extra, a nice to have, but sport has existed for millennia because it is a, it's an alternate classroom, actually, where children uh, learn critical life skills, teamwork, leadership, um, how, to, how to follow, perseverance, grit, all those things that um, contribute to success in life. Um, when whether you become less than 1% of athletes will become professionals, will get paid to play. Um, but they can all learn these critical life skills that will be invaluable when they go into the workplace. Uh, my, my, um, the thing that I've seen that has changed the most since we started this work is that there is a growing and understanding um, by policymakers, by parents, um, by school administrators, and others of the importance of providing access and opportunity to these types of programs. Mm, that's good. I love that you share your perspective with that. Now, um, one of the things that you did mention was that social and emotional component as well as the physical. Um, what are some of the main social, emotional, and physical challenges that you see might be facing um, students, especially those in the underserved communities, as we enter into a school year where many of the schools across the nation are opting to go into an online-only format because of the pandemic right now? Yeah, uh, really great question. Um, school closures as a result of, of COVID-19 are, are affecting everyone, um, but children in underserved communities are being hit really hard. Um, schools are a central place, uh, an essential place for children in underserved communities. Uh, for many, it is a primary source of nutrition uh, where they get um, uh, balanced meals uh, during the course of the day where they engage with additional caring adults who lift them up and, and support them. Um, there's great concern, and lots of it has been written about um, the learning loss that's going to be related to um, uh, children um, being out of school, particularly children in underserved communities. Um, families of means, middle-class families, it's a hassle, right, to, you know, when your kids are home and you have to do train, help support them in, in their learning on Zoom and everything else. But when you're when you're in a, a underserved community, a low-income household where you may not have Wi-Fi, you may not have high-speed internet, you may not have the the, the supports around the child that can help them uh, bridge the gap during this difficult period. Um, it raises all kinds of, of concerns. Um, the the key to avoiding the worst possible outcomes is to uh, really intervene as quickly as we can with additional supports that lift kids up. And that that's not just um, the sports programming that I'm talking about. It ranges to extra tutoring and other things that will be 
helpful for children to get them back on track. Um, but you know, we have to look at solutions outside of traditional learning environments uh, to be a part of the overall well-being and health of children. And that's where programs like ours come in, where a child who's been out of school may become disengaged. And when they have another encouraging adult, in addition to their parents, in the form of a coach who's encouraging them and reinforcing the message of the importance of staying in school and isn't in a position to be listened to by a child and, and who can influence the child, um, we think that that will play an important role. What we've done at the foundation, at the U.S. Soccer Foundation, is we've done everything we possibly can to, um, to help our community partners reach children at home. And that ranges everything from virtual sessions to um, send home um, uh, work that kids can do uh, using QR codes. They can get access to, to programming and sessions that they can do at home. And we're preparing for the fall so that no matter what circumstance a child or, or, or school district find itself in, whether it be social distance at home, uh, virtual only, uh, socially distanced um, in person, uh, or just a normal environment, we, are, we have provided all of our community partners with different levels of resources that apply to just about any situation that they can encounter. I love that. I love that because we know that our school systems traditionally serve as a key component in that village that's needed to foster a child's social and health development. And we know that things are changing um, all the time with the formats and, and what um, what schools are deciding to do. And yep. I'm glad that you said that because it is important that school leaders, community leaders, and parents all work together to try to adapt as quickly as possible to these changes, but also to work as a united front to ensure that we're improving that social and um, health outcome for our kids in our community. So thank you so much for all of the work that um, your foundation has put in so far to make sure that that happens. Now, um, one of the things that you touched upon um, is how you have set up the ability for students to connect to their coaches and to their mentors. Um, tell us some ways that students can stay connected with their um, sport coaches, even um, teams that they're on, their fellow teammates, and their mentors for that emotional and physical health and well-being support that they'll need through the school year. Yeah, so um, we have uh, worked. In fact, if, uh, your listeners can go to ussoccerfoundation.org. And there's a resource page there that will provide links that that folks can access um, that will give them um, samples of the work and you know direct access to curriculum because we've made it um, publicly available to anyone, not just our program partners, because of the circumstance that we and we want as many people to have access to it as well. Um, so much depends on the community partner that that we work with. Uh, we work with nonprofit organizations around the country who are directly linked in the community. So they have relationships in the community. They are delivering um, equipment and, and, and programming uh, to children in a socially distanced, safe way, dropping off balls, 
so that kids have a ball that they can use at home, giving them the, the curriculum, dropping that off, uh, sending it by email to their parents so that the kids can have the tools that they need at home uh, to be engaged and connected. We also um, developed for the fall, coming fall school year, the ability for coaches to host virtu virtual sessions so that they can actually engage with the kids and mentor them and lead them through training sessions uh, on, you know, online, basically. So, you know, we're trying everything that we can. Like you said, it's a fluid situation, very adaptable, uh, and we're trying to adapt with it and provide all of our community partners with the tools they need to meet whatever situation they face. I love that you're doing that. It, it's so needed, and I just want to share a little story with you as to why it's needed so you'll, you can see the impact that that's going to have in changes. We, we know that when COVID started, everything just changed out of the blue. Um, my daughter, who was a, a high school senior at the time, um, she was actually in a weight training class. One of her um, core curriculum classes was, was weight training. And the teacher at the time, because everything, you know, shifted to schools closed, the teacher did not know what to do because all the other teachers, you know, math, science, English, you can teach that curriculum via Zoom. And as you said, right. you know, how can you how can you instantly know how to teach or coach or um, direct students in an exercise, you know, to, for physical activity? via Zoom. Right. And it was extremely um, uncomfortable, really, for my daughter. Um, you can tell it was uncomfortable for the teacher because you can tell they were trying the best as they could, but this was all new yep. to them. So you having these resources available for teachers as well as for the students, it's, it's just so vital. And I'm so glad that you're doing this because it's going to make a world of difference for this upcoming school year and, and even school years um, going forward. If we ever come across something like this again, we'll be much better prepared. So I definitely appreciate you doing that. Now, when we talked about the emotional and social component, let's um, shift over to the physical component. Share with us mm -hmm. why is it so important for kids to stay physically active? Well, one of the things that we know is that um, being overweight or obese um, is one of the key indicators for cardiovascular disease, diabetes, all these kind of life, um, long life-threatening um, diseases that in particular hit uh, communities of color uh, hard. And so the importance of developing active, healthy lifestyles as a habit of play, of running, of being active, eating healthily, um, making good decisions about what you drink and what you eat um, are really critical because in the formative years, this is when children develop the habits that will be with them for a lifetime. A sedentary child um, is likely to be a sedentary adult. Right, And so when you can engage children in ways that it is fun, uh, that they have a good time, they enjoy themselves, uh, and they also are learning that they're doing good things for their brain and for their body, um, this is how you change uh, the dynamic. Uh, one of the things that we incorporate in our program is that coaches talk to the children about things like uh, hydration, drinking water, instead of sugary sweet beverages, 
you know, eating, you know, fresh fruits and vegetables when you can get them. We've even worked with some of our community partners have identified um, the fact that they live in a food desert and they have less access to healthy foods. Um, one of our community partners actually had asked that whether a farmer's market could come to practice one day a week so that the parents could get some of the fruits and vegetables that your children were learning about in the program. So, you know, it, it, it's so critical. We can take it for granted, um, but that developing active, health, active healthy lifestyles is a, is a preventive measure against many of these disease, debilitating diseases um, that cost the country financially, but more importantly, cost individuals their health and their lives long term. Absolutely. And um, with parents now, like you said, and your know, parents are trying to adapt to what's about to happen. And, and even over the summer, they were trying to adapt. Um, parents mm-hmm. are so used to leaving that physical activity up to the schools. You know, well, at school, they have recess or they have gym or, mm-hmm. um, as you said, they may mm-hmm. play a team sport or whatnot. Right. Um, now, with the students being at home, parents may find themselves resulting to the usual walk around the neighborhood or riding a bike because they're trying to learn new things to do. Now, you, you said your program is doing some wonderful things, such as um, creating activity program resources, even dropping balls mm-hmm. off to those in underserved communities. Um, we know there right. are um, middle-class and upper-class communities who may have a rec center or something like that, but we know that underserved communities don't have such things. So tell mm-hmm. us, um, what are some other creative ways that parents can use and that students can use to stay physically active while schooling from home this year, even as the weather changes into fall and winter? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, one of the things that our coaches uh, that provide the training and curriculum for all of our programs and all of our program partners, they were very, very intentional about uh, designing um, to meet, meet the reality of where children are. Right, And so the idea that not every child is going to have a big backyard to go out and run around in, uh, that so they designed programming uh, so that it could be executed in a small, I'm talking about a very small space, and still get um, this um, moderate to vigorous physical activity um, by following the guidelines and the guidance that's provided, um, and thought about those very questions that, that you laid out, that in some neighborhoods for children, it's just not particularly safe to, to wander around the neighborhood and run around the neighborhood. So leveraging whatever space is available and designing the content and the curriculum and the training programs so that it can be executed in an apartment, in a small space in an apartment, um, in a corner of an apartment where children may, that may be all that they have, um, but that if they are engaged in something that is fun and it's challenging for them, uh, which our coaches, our coach trainers are really, really good at making these kinds of engagements fun. But let's be honest, we can't get back to normal soon enough for children, right? You know, we, we, we can band-aid and patch and do the best we can during this period. Uh, that's why it's so important for us to uh, kind of bend this curve on the COVID and get us back to normal so children can get back out into open spaces 
and play spaces. One thing that is encouraged is some communities, because they're at a different level of their COVID response, they are allowing engagement. And so kids can come in a socially distanced way and participate outside. But that's why we just have a wide range of, of options, whether it's indoors, in a small space, or socially distanced outdoors. Um, we have a design available uh, that people can use to match those circumstances. That is wonderful. Um, I can speak firsthand to that as well. I, I actually experienced a little bit of everything, um, kind of um, similar to your career. Um, on the home front for me, my first 10 years, um, up until I was 10 years old, I lived in one of those middle-class neighborhoods that um, I lived directly across the street from a large park. They had a tennis court and things of that mm -hmm. nature, and I had a, a large backyard. But once um, once I turned 10, we ended up having to move. And I went from being able to play outside up until late night safely to moving mm -hmm. to um, an apartment complex that was very dangerous, very dangerous neighborhood, um, no backyard. Mm -hmm. Um, really no front yard <laughs> so right right and, and so the only place to quote-unquote play was in a parking lot and we all know how dangerous that can be or directly mm -hmm. in front of the apartment building on the sidewalk the apartment was very small uh, mm -hmm. my bedroom was very small and I was a very active child I was in all sorts of sports volleyball cheerleading track basketball you name it so to go from a situation and environment where i can run and play and have that activity to a space that was extremely limited was a, a very difficult adjustment to make and unfortunately back then um i didn't have any resources to know right. what to do in that situation once i got home from school so um, this is just just so wonderful that you've done this because now kids in all sorts of environments whether they're in a a, a, um, a safe area where they can be outside or an area where it may not be so safe large small backyard or not they can still get their physical activity in and they can also get that emotional support that they need as well online so um, can't thank yeah. you enough for that now um, tell us uh, one Sorry, go ahead. You hit, you hit one thing that I wanted to just add to, and that is the lack of safe play spaces in underserved communities. And in addition to our Soccer for Success programming, we've committed to, we call it our Safe Places to Play program. And so we build now small soccer courts right in the neighborhoods where kids live. It could be on the schoolyard, in a neighborhood park. It could be in an underutilized tennis court. It could be in an in a, in a underutilized lot, parking lot, um, that we build these safe places. We just completed this week our 300th uh, that we've built in just the past couple of years uh, around the country, specifically in underserved neighborhoods, specifically to address that challenge that you raised about there may not be a safe place within a five and ten minute walk from the house to be able to play. And that's part of the problem as well. Absolutely, absolutely. So you're, you're doing wonderful work and I commend you for everything that you're doing to help our students through this. And I just want to let everyone know, oh, finally, one last question for you. Um, tell us what's next for the U.S. Soccer Foundation. Um, where are some other things 
that you have coming up in the future? Well, one of the things um, is that we have um, uh, the 2026 FIFA World Cup, which is the biggest sporting event in the world, uh, will be hosted in the United States. And we, uh, we have a number of cities that are, are vying to be host cities during the World Cup. And we're working with uh, those cities uh, and with the, uh, uh, the FIFA uh, governing body to ensure that there's a legacy around that World Cup that includes safe places to play for children in underserved communities, a legacy, a meaningful legacy around programming in underserved communities that we can increase access and opportunity for as many children as possible, leveraging this enormous event that's coming down the, the pike, that we can leverage that as an opportunity to encourage and motivate cities and, and, and uh, elected officials to make the investments required um, to improve um, opportunity for children. That's wonderful. And um, what advice would you like, or words of encouragement, would you directly like to give to um, students right now that live in underserved communities and in terms of the racial inequalities that they're seeing right now um, unfold in our world and how they can um, kind of overcome that and, and kind of continue to stay physically, emotionally, and socially healthy during these times? Well, you know, what a great question that is. Um, these are difficult times for everyone. Um, I'm a grown man, and I've, I've cried over this, over what has been happening and what, we're, what we've seen, particularly George Floyd was like the culmination or, or the last straw after year after year, month after month, week after week of similar type of injustices. So... Um, if it's hard for an adult uh, like myself, you can only imagine how difficult it is for children who are often closest to these kinds of injustices and see it on a regular basis. And this is where the importance of caring adults come in. These are your teachers, these are your coaches, these are parents, these are uh, other mentors in the community um, to be there for children and to listen to them and to support them through this it because it is it is emotionally draining it's scary if and 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 children need our support now more than ever absolutely indeed thank you for sharing um your perspective and your emotions on that and i totally agree with you i have a 13 year old son as well as a 23 year old son and so i totally understand what you're saying um i feel the same way and so I know how vital the program um, is that you are building and that you have built for communities and, and for um, helping and, and, and trying to encourage kids through these times is. So, again, I appreciate everything that you've done and everything that you will continue to do. And I just want to let everyone know that they can go to ussoccerfoundation.org um, that's the website that you'll want to go to when you get to the home page there's a red button towards the top that says resources and activities at home you can click on that and that will give you um, the excellent programming and content that the foundation has developed for 
students to stay physically active in a fun, engaging, and safe way as well. So again, that's ussoccerfoundation.org. You can also connect with the foundation on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Um, definitely give them a look and um, definitely take advantage of those resources and activities for your child this school year. I want to thank you so much for joining me today. It has been a pleasure and an honor, and I wish you the best of success for the foundation and all of its future programming. Thank you so much for everything you've done so far. Thank you, McKeever. It's been a, pri a privilege to, to be speaking with you. Thank you for tuning in to the Faith, Health, and Home Digital Podcast. For transcripts of this episode and others, visit our website at faithhealthandhome.com. Also, be sure to subscribe to our podcast and connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. Thank you again for joining us.